Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Wet and Dry, the kayaking podcast, together with Bren Orton and myself, Adrian, talking things kayaking-related and more. Today's topic shall be a little bit broader, and I guess let's dive into the world of videos, since that's a huge thing for you, for me, which kind of got us fired up on kayaking, kept us going with kayaking, so I'd love to chat with you today about that that topic. 100% mate I mean it's one of the things that sort of like bonds us with our friendship you know it's not only like a love of kayaking and hip-hop and tattoos and other <laughs> stuff but also like a love of like going out there and creating content and filming and yeah man I mean for me it all started with um I won like my first kayaking DVD mm-hmm. and it was at a little like competition in the swimming pool you know it was like a slalom competition in the swimming pool and I won and they gave me this like VHS DVD and it was like my first taste of like kayaking media Uh and dude I fell in love with it it was this obscure edit that I don't think many people have seen but it was called Jehovah's Wetness (laughs) (laughs) and I was like a 10 year old kid you know and I was just stoked man just the VHS in every single day after school watching it and you know they were on the slave river and stuff and and going pretty big back then and it was was like my first time watching like kayaking footage synced up to music mm-hmm. and I was just obsessed with it and then I started going to the kayaking shop and you could see all the DVDs lined up yeah dude I would be like oh. <laughs> but they were all so expensive man like 25 quid like back then as well you know like I was 12 years old I didn't have that money you know and uh, occasionally I'll get one for Christmas and I'll just be so stoked um with the old Jackson kayaks i had one of the freestyle kayaks when i was a kid and it came with a like a promo video i remember those 2006 ones or dude something. and it was who was it it was it was chris emrick or someone like that was editing them back in the day and they were so good you know um i watched those on repeat all the time and you know like the instructional dvds did mm-hmm. you have any of those Never had the instructional DVDs, but also didn't speak English back then. So. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, dude, I had them. And again, it was 25 quid to buy these DVDs. And uh-huh. I was like, I'm going to get it. And I'm going to learn the secrets. And I'm going to be able to do all these tricks. And yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I saved up and, and bought the DVD. And dude, it was infuriating. We'll watch one um, at some point, one of these nights, and you can you can understand my frustration as a kid because I thought I was gonna get like an in depth look and like you know like real secrets, like a clear way to to like understand the tricks and break it down. And you as you 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 know yourself, like when you're um, learning tricks as a kid. You know, like you need it to be broken down. And one of the the first tricks you want to learn is how to get vertical to do a double pump Mm -hmm. and smash the nose of your kayak down and go into a bow stall or a cartwheel. And that trick was like a mystery to me. I had no idea how to do it. I just kept falling over all the time. Got to have been the same for you. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. it was like, I think my first goal in kayaking was to be able to do a stern squirt. Once I could do that, I was like, I think my life will be completed if I can do a bow stall. I don't need to do anything else, just a bow stall. And that was hectic. Yeah, I remember many days trying to get that bow underwater, me totally sore, not getting the bow underwater. <laughs> it's a process, yeah, for sure. It takes a long time, you yeah. know, but I, I you know, bought this DVD and it was like, I really thought I was going to unlock a secret with that trick on it. And mm-hmm. it's uh, the bow stall, the DVD is good. There are lots of tips on there, lots of things to, to learn and understand. But the bow stall section is done by Dane as a 10-year-old. <laughs> 
And you know, Dane, you know, like he used to speak with a bit more of a lisp when he was younger. So it was a bit hard to understand, you know? And he's like, so to do a double pump, what you do is you lift the nose up and then you push it down and you either go into a cartwheel or a bow stall and then it cuts to the next segment. And I was like, what? No, you described it. You didn't tell me how to do it. Go back. So it was, it was tragic. Uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, for me, it was little bit different because like i think my first contact with kayaking edits were live shows from olaf opsommer when yes. he was touring around germany and and showing like his expeditions and they would play in like close in like theaters or, or like local kayaking clubs close to my hometown so we would go there and check that out and i still remember how it like blew me away to see like that person there on stage like looking like a normal person and then in the background seeing these like crazy things they would do back in the day like if it's an Iceland expedition whatever Siglantin got up to and I remember being super super impressed by that um, but then obviously that's like a once a year type thing right and then I went on this splurge on Vimeo and YouTube I'm pretty sure there used to be a point where I knew every single kayaking video on Vimeo when that was still a big thing <laughs> Like every single edit, every single river, just binged, watched it up and down just to get that content. And then also mostly and mainly because of the Jackson blog or like around that time when they were doing like the promotionals and all that type of stuff. Um, I kind of learned English throughout the Jackson kayak blog because that, that was where the hottest shit was dropping. And I really wanted to know what was going on and how like kayaking was going over, over seaside. And yeah, I think the mix from Vimeo and sometimes good sometimes averagely written blogs brought me to kayaking in english and, and that's how i picked up the english language um and then yeah just stayed around that realm of, of vimeo on youtube because obviously you learn a lot you get inspired like everything it was in there I, I must have spent thousands of hours watching kayaking videos not even done by ourselves just by other people yeah, 100%, man. And I'm always so grateful for people put, that put out those like good edits for yeah. free, especially when, I mean, when YouTube was first becoming a thing, you know, there's like a couple of like gnarly crashes on stuff on there, but there, there wasn't that much like edited nice content, you know, mm -hmm. it was it was just like gnarly, like short clips. And then it sort, sort of started evolving. And, pe you know, like Danny McCaskill's edit was a standout, you know, that sort of like changed things, I think, for action sports on YouTube. And then the kayaking edits that came out, and a lot of them get forgotten about but dude kelsey thompson's um promo reel from yeah. whatever year it was 2012 i forget dude it's insane it's so good and it's set to one of his friends bands playing and uh man i loved it and especially because he was all round shredding you know like creaking freestyle on waves freestyle in holes like really sick at it remember that guy from the southeast Nathan something he was crushing Silsby. Nathan yeah, Silsby he was crushing YouTube dude, early on like dude, amazing dude that was my first introduction to the band Ratatat uh -huh. when he had Wildcat yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember that edit yep <laughs> dude that that one is awesome we have to link all of these um somehow on the podcast but yeah dude like you know those those edits are like burned in my brain and they sort of take me back to that time where you know I could only kayak one day a week if someone took me and mm -hmm. in, in that meantime I'd just be trying to fill this hole until I could get out on the water and kayak again and those those edits were so cool to watch again and again and again yeah in incredible <laughs> and then obviously the big one happened i mean for me personally i think the creation of bombflow and like the couple years where these guys were on tour and, and dropping monthly that must have been 
probably the number one reason of me deciding I want to become a pro full-time kayaker and just travel the world. Like, <laughs> I remember every single episode. I, I guess it's honestly, it's probably the same for most of the kayakers in our generation. Like, that was so defining, I think, for our youth. It was impressive. And yeah, I mean, that's obviously grown on, on LVM and all that. I think LVM made it less over to Europe than Bombflow did. Like Bombflow was the first wave which really hit like Central Europe. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I was I was lucky because I was in the US from like a young age mm -hmm. with Piranha, and um, you know I got to see a lot of LVMs and meet the guys behind those those videos and stuff. But yeah, like like you say, like I wasn't getting LVM videos when I was a kid in the UK. You exactly. Know? Yeah. But um, going back and watching them, you can buy them all all for 20 bucks, I think, on Vimeo, going back and watching them, man. Like, they were ahead of their time, you know? Like, they were really, they were good quality edits. There was some storylines. There was, like, a lot of, um, um, a lot of, like, a lot of, like, not secrets, but, like, a lot of, like, inside jokes mm -hmm. with, like, that crew and, and stuff going on and sharing information about the local rivers and stuff. It was, it's a really cool series, man. I like it a lot. But for me, it was um, Rush's um, film trailer, frontier yeah and he had it edited to cracks by flux yeah. pavilion dude that blew my head off when i was a kid you know and it was like when things like slow motion and sliding shots and stuff like that were like just making their way out and you know rush had all of those in that edit benny's so, ass crew oh dude it's like as for bass drops yeah. like oh my god it's insane um i still love that edit you know but for me that was like that was like aha that's like the type of edit that i want to make you know mm -hmm. like it's it's all cut super tight to the music and it's it's just like a whole journey and package sort of deal you know and bomb flow i always absolutely loved and i, I like i appreciate like the, the more like raw random stuff in it now that i'm older yeah. but when i was a kid i was definitely like longing for like a like a tighter cut thing you know and i didn't necessarily like listen to all the talking i'll just skip through them to the music and stuff and now as i get older i go back and watch the whole episode you know mm -hmm. and i love them but um yeah for me when i was younger it was all about the song that they used and the shots that they used and how they put it together and yeah. everything else was secondhand and then i got a bit older and got more into like the stories and like the human aspect and stuff like that you know um do you remember your first kayaking edit you made yeah i do uh 2010 so i first picked up a camera like an old mini dv8 from my dad when i was like i don't know like 12 maybe so like in 08 and then i was filming skateboarding for like the first two three years just me and my friends going out having fun there's still some very average edits on youtube of that um and then i've gotten a gopro the first gopro hd hero and then I took that out for a season and 2010, I made my first kayaking video, I remember. Mm. And it was this like crazy journey on like a Sony Vegas, like oh, whatever no. edition it was on, crashing all the time. I would do something on the timeline, be like so confused. I would like delete the project, close the program, start all over again. <laughs> That's where it started. And uh, yeah. Go, going on from there and how about you when when did you first pick up a camera for kayaking or was there a camera before kayaking dude my so dude my mum filmed a cliff with me at the beach once right <laughs> I'm, I'm in a perception with it and i'm just trying to like paddle in you know yeah. and i get picked up by a wave <laughs> i'm like nine years old and the 
the nose starts to like bury, you know, and I like twist away from it, like, uh, and I sort of do like a blunt by accident because the <laughs> nose hits the sand and saves me uh -huh. from landing on my face and it twists out. And that was like the first kayaking shot I ever saw and I loved. And ever since then, I was, it was she filmed it on like a Sony Handycam. Yeah. And after that, I was always out with the, with the Handycam trying to film stuff. And um, for a while, dude, I would just film, but I wouldn't be able to edit, you know, because I couldn't get the tape onto a DVD, onto my computer. And then eventually we got this DVD recorder and I figured it out. You could plug the tape in, the, the Handycam in with the tape and you could rip it onto a DVD and you could take that DVD and rip it onto your laptop. And then you could convert the footage so it would work in Windows Movie Maker. Yeah. And then away you go. I remember the Firewire days that crazy cable you had to use oh yeah your, dude your which was for. which was so hard you know because i think anyone that bought a handicam had one of those but no one could find it ever <laughs> it's tragic um but yeah first edits were on windows movie maker there's still mm -hmm. some on youtube on under my incredible old youtube name mm -hmm. one two three smiley 2k8 <laughs> nice <laughs> and nice. It's pretty tragic, but I, you know, like I, yeah, I started making edits there and uh -huh. dude, I think like my third edit, I entered, there's a group called the Rain Chasers in the UK and they had like a video comp on once a year and I was too young to enter it, but I sent it in anyway and they played it. Cool. And um, there was like the managers from Palm and Piranha there and stuff. So that was like the first time seeing me as like a 12 year old kid or whatever. Um, so it, it was like randomly like beneficial, you know, <laughs> just making these edits. And um, dude, I was always craving to use like a more professional editing software because, mm -hmm. you know, like the free stuff like Windows Movie Maker and iMovie and stuff, you know, like basically all you need is a timeline, you know, that's the biggest thing you need. Everything else is a bonus, but you feel like you've, you outgrow those programs pretty quick especially back in the day when they did way less than what they do now yeah, yeah absolutely and uh david or no actually had this transition in one of his videos for a fluid element promo and he does a loop and then he he's like he's cut himself out on photoshop and then he does like a fake camera orbit around himself while he was ah, looping yeah and it's set to like the sound of the camera snapping shut and stuff and i was like However he did that, I need to learn how to do that. That's what I need in my edits. <laughs> and um, this older kayaker, my friend Craig, um, he he was a graphic designer and he hooked me up with a cracked version of um, Adobe CS3. Mm -hmm. Dude, at the first time I opened Premiere, I immediately closed it again. Like it opened, it had all the buttons and everything on and I just, my brain just panicked <laughs> and I closed it. <laughs> Yeah, my uncle gave me CS2 at some point. And then I was like, yep, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to use this program. And same situation here, like open it up, see a lot of tabs, buttons, and words I've never seen before. And was like, yeah, never mind. Sony Vegas will do. And uh, back to Sony Vegas I went. But yeah, it's it's wild how that all developed. I mean, if you, now that we talk about it and like comparing that to like a nowadays workflow, like, oh, dude, crazy. <laughs> It's insane. Different man. story. I I laugh many times, you know. Yeah. Um it's and, and you know, and like our generation had it easy as well compared to what other generations were doing, you know? Like you ever see I think it was when Nike sponsored a few kayakers mm -hmm. for Marianne Safer's part in a Nike edit. Um she did it in Uganda on Itunda and Rush is getting these head cam shots of her. And dude, he's got a massive camera duct taped to his head. It's like I 
I'm impressed his neck was able to deal with it. It's a big camera. Olaf has a few beautiful shots of him with the same setup on his head, like literally taped and then like running cables through his like dry suit. And then there's like pelicase in the kayak, like different story, bro. Yeah, different, different, different world story. Man. But yeah, then those are Tammy. So we both started filming early on with kayaking. And then I tried to remember... I always wanted like a Canon 7D. I remember that was like the state of the art oh, camera mate. back then. That that changed things for like yeah. online edits and film, filming action sports and indie that films and stuff. Like so beautiful. <laughs> but I could never buy that camera. I remember this also because it was quite expensive. So I think I was rocking like a like a cheap what is it 350D or something like. Oh yeah. The entry level DSLRs Canon used to make back in the day. Nonetheless, got me fired up quite a bit. And that, yeah, I dragged it around a lot. I brought it to most kayaking places, filmed with a lot of hideous settings, but over the time, eventually, you figure it out. Um, but I think the main problem was that I was all, only always the only one with a camera, right? So you would, like, film your friends and film random stuff, but barely get shot of yourself. Um, and then trying to make it into an edit with some, like, old weird GoPro combined. I remember that. How was it for you? Do much, much the same, you know, I went through every edition of like cheap waterproof camcorder, you know, <laughs> for like anywhere from like a hundred, 250 quid, you know, and I'd normally kill one of those once a year or something, mm -hmm. not actually that waterproof, which is the same for like a lot of stuff, you know, like a lot of stuff says waterproof, but it's not like, even though kayaking is in the water, it's not kayak proof, you know, like a lot of stuff is intended for like rain showers or a like splash. Yeah. Yeah. But not, not a dunking. Um, but yeah, man, it was much the same for me. And GoPro, when they first started, actually sent some GoPros to Piranha. Like, please, mm, cool. please use these. Maybe you'll get some shots with your team athletes or something. And they gave me one to take out to Uganda, mm -hmm. my first trip. Dude, it was awful. So it had like these two AAA batteries in there. You would get approximately eight minutes where the <laughs> GoPro would be on and recording. And in that time, in about four or five minutes in, it would overheat and the lens would start to fog up. Yes, I remember that. And uh, dude, so it was hectic. But, you know, like we filmed a few clips from a tow rope on now special with someone on the wave. And it was like mind blowing to me. I was so stoked on these shots. I was like, this is the future. <laughs> And uh, my first good camera I owned was a Canon 60D. Yep. And I was hanging out with James Bebbington a lot, living in his van, kayaking with him. And he was, you know, he was always epic with cameras. And uh, the stuff he was doing with that 60D was insane, man. Like really, really high quality shots and edits. And uh, yeah, I mean, he still is one of my heroes. But like at back then, you know, like Pringle was my hero. That's his nickname. And um, anyway, like I saved up got a 60D and was just over the moon. And I had that camera forever, dude. Like I had it like years. Fantastic yeah. little thing. Yeah, no, no, no. They didn't die and they really did such a beautiful job. Like I feel like the time before DSLMs became a thing, that was the go-to. Yeah, I remember first seeing the, the first GoPro, like POV kayaking shots. And I was very certain that this is like the best angle ever. I don't need to see anything ever else again. And then I went, that went on about like two years until it was the old thing again. But cr crazy how that changed. Like I was convinced that is it. You don't need anything else in your life. Yeah. I mean, it was mind blowing when it first came mm -hmm. out. Fast forward 10, 15 years and you're like, please God, 
like please have another shot in your edit you know like show me an outside perspective something you know but I, re I, I do think man like the GoPro is responsible for so much like skill acquisition and yeah. learning and processing you know because you know like like I fell asleep like a few nights in a row last week watching my GoPro back, mm -hmm. learning the lines on the new middle earths. Like it's it's an insane learning device, you know? And it's always this thing that you can use to capture some part of your day, some moment from a river, you know? You don't even have to do anything. It's just on your head and you hit record and you have some sort of like vaguely like captured memory from that. Yeah. Um. So I get why people use them so much. And I, I do use mine all the time every day it's just like most of the time i just watch my footage back and don't don't do anything with it you know because we're shooting outside perspectives more yeah no i agree i think gopro and that entire like pov action footage thing changed the game in all extreme sports i mean look how easy it is nowadays for us to like know what type of white water we get into because there's like there will be some gopro video out there somewhere which kind of takes away a lot so I don't try to do it too much anymore, but if you really want to know what's going on or if you run a waterfall, you know how sometimes you just do something crazy like you didn't intend on planning, you just do something, your brain just works on overdrive and you're like, what did I, how did I just solve that? You know, And then being able to watch that back, I find very rewarding and I've definitely learned my fair share of kayaking skills purely by watching POV from other people. Yeah, 100%, mate. Dude, on that topic, I have to say shout out Anton Imler for all of his video guides. Yes, that was cool. We were we were in Norway earlier this spring. Adrian was hurt and I wanted to do the Eidsor River. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was trying to find information about it, Googled it after I figured out how to spell it. <laughs> and uh, anyway, up pops Anton Imler's video. Perfect, perfect beta the whole way through. Really, really good quality. And I think the YouTube upload day, date was like eight, nine years ago. Yeah, easily. That was his project he was running for a while. But that was a cool that was a cool thing to do. I think that really again super, helped the rivers in Norway. Super rad, man. I, I think like it's hard to put like a rule on it, but for me, like some rivers, I'm all for that, you know, like explanation of lines, like talking things through, video clips and stuff. And then other rivers, I'm like, fuck, just like no no video, you know, like it should be like just this thing. You know, like I, I really get jealous of like the old stories of people going up to the Stikian and nobody knows what's going on. You just hear of like a few notorious rapids, but you've got to drop in there and figure it out, you know, and your, your first time seeing the river is when you're seeing the river, you know, yeah. you're not, you're not going over video of lines before you go for the trip, you know, like I, that's part of the, the excitement of finding new rivers for me. You know, it's like I haven't like memorized the lines and I don't know everything you and where don't to know go. What's in there, yeah. And kind of looking at also with like a fresh perspective, because of course, if you see 200 GoPro lines down a certain rapid, you're possibly more inclined to do the same rather than like look at it with a set of fresh eyes and be like, hey, actually, what about this and that? I always find that quite interesting coming up to new rapids. But on the topic of Stikin, I remember talking to Oli Grau. And he was saying, like, going up to the Stikin and, and getting it on the first time is, like, unheard of from back in the day. Because obviously they didn't, they didn't even used to have a gauge. They would go there and then there's this, like, wonky concrete bridge with three lines. There is a bad smiley, there's a neutral smiley, and there's a good smiley. And that was your level, you know? Like, you would go to the put-in and, and check it out. So most crews took, like, several attempts before they would even be able to go and put on the Stikin. And then obviously online gauges became a thing, footage like spilled out, people knew about rapids, rapids got named, and then it became this like, what it is nowadays, this like super predictive, amazing, fun, good 
whitewater type thing. Yeah, dude. I mean, the, the advancement in technology for our sport, considering like none of our equipment has moving parts, none of the materials have changed drastically in decades. Mm -hmm. It's been a big thing, you know, like all of the new technology coming through and like, I, I can't imagine living without the river app, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah. like that's a, like I wake up, I look wherever my phone is and I open that app and I check what all the rivers around the world are doing. Yeah. Know? Or like the whitewater guy from Mike, like you, you fire up the, that, that app and you like literally look into the most random country you're thinking about going and there will be a description of at least one to multiple rivers. Yeah. And you're like, wow, where does this knowledge all come together? This is amazing. Dude, white, white water app from Mike has saved me a few times. Because you know what? I'm like driving and with directions and remembering places. Like mm -hmm. my brain just doesn't do it, you know? Like I've, I have no idea. And uh, if I don't have the sat nav on, and thank God the white water guide has all the put in and take outs <laughs> pinned. Because, dude, I'd, I'd be out there in the wilderness right now. Like, I would not have got back from the last trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely saved me a few times when I was doing some courses on sections I don't spend too much time on usually. And I was like, where is the put in? I have no idea. But boom, thanks to the app. Then I knew mostly. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. As you're saying, like, the revolution in technology in our sport is probably way less groundbreaking compared to the revolutions around things which kind of like play back into our sports whether that's drones whether that's new cameras whether that's gopros whether that's these apps online gauges webcams whatever it is it's actually quite cool to think about how like our like sport equipment doesn't change that much but everything else around it i mean God damn, dude. Like the, the Shogun from Werner is yeah. what, a decade old now? Yeah. And oh, like, that's the, the one. Do, I mean, dude, it's honestly, it's just the build quality of Werner. You know, like mm -hmm. I've used other paddles that have way nicer catch and stuff, but it's the build quality because if it breaks in some situations, that might be really fucking bad. Mm -hmm. And the balance when you're doing all these like weird little correction strokes like behind your hips and stuff or like at your knees you know like it's just balanced and a lot of lot of like more race orientated blades dive and do weird things yeah. for all those weird things you have to do on hard pushy white water when you're not just taking forward strokes and boof strokes you know so yeah god i i, I love werner i love taylor and the team there but like god i hope they bring out a new shogun <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe maybe huh i'm ready i'm ready same here i mean i've played around with different designs and for sure there are paddles you, dude you've played out you've played with paddles you've played with different brands way more than i have like uh, like for sure there are some de some designs which work better in a certain way but then they will lack a lot more in others and like for the type of kayaking i think we enjoy and we want to do where you just always want to be in control you always want to have some power on the blade and most importantly you just want some something bomb proof I've come back to the Shogun multiple times now and yeah, brought gonna me, stick with it. Brought me great satisfaction because you were trying all these different paddles yeah, out yeah. all the time and I was like, Shogun. <laughs> <laughs> and I, dude, I, I, you know, like I tried a handful like a few times for a few minutes, but mm -hmm. like the Odachi I was never that into with the forward facing blade mm -hmm. because again, it's like so good for forward strokes and booths and stuff like that. But the second you're on like, unpredictable white water and you're having to make all these like weird adjustments and stuff it's it's way harder i yeah. feel the blade diving way more that and also then just like running waterfalls and like oh, coming over the edge and you're like tucking up and you you cannot not think about what happens if this paddle now breaks into pieces at the bottom you know 
that is just something I really don't experience with the shoe gun, but with basically all other blades. So big, big reason for me to just stick with that design. Did did angel wing falls you know yeah. like if I, if I didn't have a werner like i probably wouldn't have gone for that waterfall because especially at those like higher flows we were there at because like if dude if anything happened you were going off the next thing exactly and probably not in a good spot either <laughs> you know like th- this is a this is a really sick set of waterfalls one the top one's like 80 foot and the bottom one's also like 70 80 Something somewhere like in it. there and um, but the first one's more free fall and the second one is this like huge reconnect that they call the dome and the when we were there the water was high and it was flowing so fast into the next one um, and thankfully we had no issues when me and dame ran it but yeah like it could have been so bad and if you went off like middle or left then you would have mm-hmm. like hit the rock so hard and then fallen like 60 foot <laughs> so. it would not be fun even though david claimed he would be okay with sliding down on <laughs> his spare ass i don't think he would have survived that that really that really eliminated a lot of the stress you know like we've done the planning then we're talking through like the film plan and like the the descent days and stuff and because we were a tight crew we had to split the day so we couldn't all do it on the same day because we wouldn't have enough safety cover so anyway we split the team up dame went first on the first day me and adrian went second on the second day and we alternated with safety throughout it but when we're giving like the safety briefing and we're talking it through with everyone david (laughs) interjects with uh yeah i'm actually not that you know like we're we're really putting a lot of emphasis on how how fast it was between those first two waterfalls and the consequences and the danger if you go off the second one and you're not you know composed in your kayak and ready and david is listening to all this and he's like oh yeah, actually, you know, that won't happen because, you know, I'll be on a live bay and I'll just jump in and get you. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, we can't risk you being swept off that waterfall plus, you know, whoever's holding you on the line, you know? And he was like, oh, no, it's no problem. I've worked as a, <laughs> I've worked as a canyoning guide. I'd slide down that on my ass, no problem. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, thank God we didn't have to test it out. But that really took a lot of the like <laughs> hype and stress away from that drop for me. I'm like, you know what? David would kayak down this without a kayak. Like, what am I afraid of? Uh, beautiful, beautiful. But yeah, man. But, you know, like going back to cameras, you know, like I I think that, you know, in this sport, when you're starting out, if you, if you want to, you know, pursue it and be in this industry, like it's not good enough to just be the best kayaker, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's unfortunately not, you know. And although it's unfortunate, on some side of things for others i'm really grateful because like you have to learn other skills you know and you have to find a way to like weave your path in with a bunch of other stuff that you know makes sense to you know ultimately the people that control the checkbooks you know and you know like making videos for me and like being able to provide the stats Mm -hmm. to companies has been game changing you know like i like it really like helps show your worth you know yeah i agree it's like had to come to a realization pretty early on that like no company is gonna pay me to just go kayaking obviously and uh that is also very hard to as you just say like kind of like put a number on things because like yes you kayak but who cares and how much is that worth and how is that gonna translate into sales and all of that and i think for me one of the hardest and most important tasks is to like kind of put that thing you going kayaking and making videos with your friends put a number onto that and i think like views and subscribers and and just reach just plays such a big role to be able to provide black and white on paper hey this is what we've done there's so many people that reached like this is our worth 
Yeah, dude, to quantify it. Because, you know, like, at a lot of brands, there are still, like, core older school kayakers, you mm -hmm. know? Like, like I'm super grateful that Paul Robertson is the manager at Palm, you know, because he gets it, you know? Like, he's done all of this. Like, he's he's still out kayaking all the time. Like, he's he is a kayaker, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, he's got to justify it to the other people at the company that perhaps don't kayak and don't understand it, you know? And, you, you know, like, as soon as, like, money and sponsorship is involved, it's not good enough to be like, oh, he's sick, <laughs> you know? Like, with the people that control the checkbooks. Yeah. No, I agree. But then to be fair, like making videos was a great solution for us dude, to like kind of jump that and close that gap. Dude, it wasn't even a solution. Like I just wanted it so bad, you know, like I had this mm. thing inside of me. I just wanted to go kayaking and I just wanted to make kayaking edits. That's all I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And everything else is just like a bonus off the back of that. But, you know, like the sponsorship side of things and the opportunities and it's, it's all come from that, you know, yeah. and dude, that's like, my number one thing i tell all the groms you know like learn learn how to video edit you know even if you're just doing like little social media things like tiktoks whatever like it's still you know something you're still producing content and i think I, yeah i think now that we have less and less competitions happening in the sport i think the video parts become more and more important which to me they always were you know like i never really cared about competition results mm -hmm. i always cared about the videos that came out of the comps and the videos that came out when people weren't competing, you know, because I, I just want to see sick kayaking, yeah, inspiring kayaking. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter where where or when it happens. I just want to see really sick kayaking. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm on the same train of well done edits to like inspire and, and get people fired up. Because I mean, I'm sure that like when you make a video, like you kind of reach so many people you don't you can't really grasp that or think about it but if i just think about myself like how insanely fired up like a 12 year old adrian got has gotten from like the most random kayaking edits somewhere in the depths of the internet back then like that really carried through like got me so fired up to go kayaking and do these things and and try to do the same and and, and more um i think that's just something it's really easy to oversee but it's also really important that this is like a full circle type thing like you you do get inspired and but you're also doing things and who knows maybe there's some 10 year old eight year old who's stumbling across your stuff and gets fired up based off that and it kind of just keeps going and evolving as time passes i find that such a cool and interesting concept dude 100 percent. I, th I think for me it's just like like again like there's just something inside of me that wants to do that so mm -hmm. i keep doing it you know yeah, but perfect. it's it's been i think it's been you know, like talking to Sven mm -hmm. Lamler and stuff, you know, when I look at how he kayaks and also like his career alongside of that and the same for his brother and his dad, you know, like I've been like, God, maybe I should have gone to uni and done something, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm like, actually, like, although my path was to just throw everything I had at it and kayak all the time, like you, you can do other things and kayak to a really high level, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, but you know, like now when I look back, I'm like, I was just interested in kayaking and cameras and so many people that I look up to dropped out of film school immediately, you know? Like I think the best way to learn how to use a camera is to just get your hands on a, on a camera and just start using it. And, you know, like 
the shots that you want to take those first couple ones like you're really learning about your eye and how you see things and what you want to show is is a dead interesting time then you know you get something that has um like a focus ring on it you know aperture controls all this stuff and you can start playing around more it's it's a beautiful process man i really enjoy it it's it's an amazing journey and also like how your eyes get primed for certain looks and angles and views i mean nowadays when watching a series or something like it's Very often we both are like, wow, look at this shot. Like, this is beautiful done. Look at the colors. Look at the how they set it up. Look where the lights, how they come into play. Like, it's such a cool process, as you just said, I agree, to, like, prime your eyes for the type of shooting content and then also, like, watching yourself develop, like, a certain style, wherever that influence comes from, whether it be culture, music videos, maybe movies you've seen as a kid, colors you like, other sports which inspire you. Like, there's so many things which, like, come together and really shape your unique way of looking at the world and then you can show that throughout your camera and your editing like that's such a cool thing to do 100 man dude that's that's still my dream like i don't know if i'll ever be able to make an edit how i like see it in my brain mm -hmm. you know because like i have so many different ways of taking shots that i like mm -hmm. and but i can't always do that on the river you know i have to compromise and i have to take other shots that i don't like for example like I'm fine with movement coming from right to left in the frame, mm -hmm. but I hate when the camera pans from right to left because we read left to right. So our eyes are used to going from this side to this side in that order. You know, we're not like other parts of the world that read the other way around. Mm -hmm. So I hate pans going in that direction, but sometimes I'm out on the side of the river and that's my only option, you know, like I have to. And uh, dude, my, my dream is to like get the budget somehow, get get myself you and the boys and like just have everything storyboarded out and to have the shot in mind and not to compromise you know yeah like to make it happen no matter how hard it is and i i think it would take i think it'd be like a two-year project but that would be my dream maybe yeah. in a few years yeah no i think that's that's the way to do it and what to do and go for but as you say you have to like i think most of the times and i think also that kind of defines a little bit the way we shoot because we're mostly shooting in the outdoors and we're mostly shooting with really tricky conditions like i think we're very used to shooting in the rain and the dark or crazy crazy lights shadows whatever it is like it's like i think kayaking is probably one of the trickiest sports to really shoot do constantly multitasking you know yeah. like when when i took vega and laura on that first day of the delabrooker mm -hmm. like the upper section You know, I wanted to scramble and get a better shot somewhere, but because I was the first down, I had to stay at the bottom of a rapid and set safety, you know? So I've got my camera in one hand and my throw bag in the other, and I'm going to throw the camera on the side of the river and bag them if they need me, you know? Like it's it very rarely can you ever like just focus on the filming, you know? You've got to focus on your line, the team, the next rapid, what's going on, you know? Like it, it would truly be a dream to have... I guess not even someone coming externally because some of these places you can only get there if you kayak. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, like I say, my dream would be like, we have the storyboard, we have the shots that we want and we just go and get them somehow, some way. Somehow, some way. No compromises. I like that. No compromises. Yep. But you know, like, <laughs> the, the, the shots you get on the river, man, like, some of them are just magic you know like i I have a folder of like shots that i i think are just beautiful you know mm -hmm. like whether it's stuff dane or yourself or caleb have taken of me or stuff i've taken of you boys and i'm just so stoked on it you know like but it's worked out in that way and 
like filming waterfalls is a is a gift because a lot of times it's just one location you're not moving around that much you know it's concentrated a lot of them have trails for the hikers and the tourist beaters that want to see them mm-hmm. and it's an it's an easier setup you know to get a good kayaking shot but a lot of the times you're at the base of a waterfall getting sprayed by the water, trying to keep your camera dry, trying to not let the lens fog up. And you know, you know, you've got it tucked underneath your armpit so the lens isn't getting sprayed by the water. And you're trying to see like, you know, sometimes like 80, 90, 100 foot up yeah. to see when they're going to go, you know, and sometimes the communication is not perfect. Then you've got to whip your camera out real quick, get it steady, you know, move it down. Get the pull down, that's true. Yeah, I think that's like one of the, favorite shot i like to get is like a close-up slow-mo shot of a kayaker going over the falls but like kind of like panning from another object into that and that's exactly what you were just describing so many times i have been stands or sheltered somewhere behind the rock just waiting for that person to come over the lip and you're looking up and you're like trying to spot a drone or trying to like learn anything about how far they are in the process of getting into the boat depending on how the drone is moving to like then time it well and it's also wild because not very often we have locations or spots where you can just go up again and do it again for a second shot like that's also something which i think is a bit of a difference to other edits or other sports you're shooting like you sometimes you really have one one shot to get it right yeah dude and Again, I think we take that for granted. Like I was on that shoot in Indo Mm -hmm. um, with the Indonesian tourism board. And, you know, for them to only have one chance to get the shot was just insane to them, you know? And they were like, no, no, we need to do it like four or five times. And I'm like, I'm not doing this waterfall four (laughs) or five times team. Like, no way, you know, because like, you know, the producer was great. who's super, super cool and like wasn't pushing me to do things that I didn't want to do. But we're also like, because I was there on my own, we didn't have the safety team that I wanted for that waterfall. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to like run the numbers game and chances, you know? So they were, dude, they were talking about test shoots where they were going to f- throw some like foam down the river and make a practice, practice like panning their cameras, getting the team set up, all of this stuff. And thankfully they didn't do it because I didn't want them to throw a big thing of polystyrene in there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, dude, that producer was dealing with the water levels dropping and like a bunch of stuff going and he's only got one chance and it, it was super stressful for him, I think. And yeah, I, you know, like that's always the hard part with kayaking is like when you especially with waterfalls when you drop a waterfall you know you you there's an 80 foot height difference for you to deal with sometimes and sometimes it's completely cliffed out and then just like i don't know the effort involved to come back up you know i've only had to do that a few times but Mm -hmm. man it is it is a big long day when you're filming a waterfall you know like constantly moving hiking back up getting into that mindset dropping down feeling relieved picking yourself back up going again and again and hurry up and wait wait for you know the sun being covered by some clouds or wait for this and now go 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 like yeah i think honestly shooting kayaking and shooting waterfalls especially is probably one of the hardest things to shoot did it honestly in my experience like a lot of times we're just better off doing it ourselves yeah because some of the filmers that come in to film these things like they you know they're not kayakers you know they're incredible with cameras but they're not used to being in this terrain and stuff you know i'm sure there are cameramen that are out there but the ones that we've been sent on projects like sometimes they can't do the hike in mm-hmm. <laughs> with all the camera gear <laughs> you know like if you remember that one shoot we were at i had to put that rope for them to go down yep. to the river yep. and you know we were just running up and down it like 
they wanted a rope and yeah I, I i really think to get the best kayaking shots you have to be a kayaker because you're not going to access the places otherwise no and you also like you learn how the kayak is going to move you know so you can anticipate what to do with your camera and how to move it and stuff and i think that's a big one i've been on shoot with like epic epic filming crews but they were so not used to like how like the kayak moves in the water and especially the free fall aspect, like how it takes time for the kayak to accelerate on its way down. And then also like how it's going to like not disappear or disappear depending on how you enter the, the water. Like that's a really tricky thing to get right. But that's also, I think those are these extra 10% which decide if a shot is, is okay or if it's actually sick. Like if you nail those moments, you know, like coming over the edge or like, doing some corrections mid-air or like getting that impact being able to shoot that in the correct framing for me is the most interesting part of the entire operation and as you just said not many crews i've been with have nailed that immediately when they're not from the sport themselves no but um brandon reich mm -hmm. wanderlust imagery he's a sick fpv pilot but we had him on two mexico projects right now True. and his first shot he ever took of kayaking was of me on tomato one mm -hmm. and i was just doing it to set safety for zach so there wasn't like great communication when i was going you know mm -hmm. and uh I, anyway i just went off it and he he started flying late because he was like oh fuck he's going now and he started flying late and took like an epic shot right off the bat <laughs> and, and he just like understood what was going to happen and like the speed i was going to free fall and stuff but that comes from him filming all the cliff diving that him mm. and his friends do and i guess like there's a lot of similarities there you know a lot of times they're going off waterfalls so he knows how to expose for the light conditions um you know like the free fall speed is roughly the same and what's yeah. going on he just he just wasn't fully expecting like how slow we roll up to um the lip yeah yeah and um that was other my other time with an fpv pilot julie strauss uh -huh. on the on the um kaiser clam on the brandy he was like damn dude like i'm used to filming like ski and snow sports where like i have the cap i have the drone going as fast as i can he's like i'm flying as slow as i can while you work your way down this gorge <laughs> and I, I was pushing hard man i was trying to go as fast as i could but still just no comparison you know but yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. The speed of kayaking is is hard to to anticipate, even as a kayaker. You know, all it takes is one wave break over your bow, and all of a sudden, all your speed's gone and yeah, zero speed. Like, it's tricky to fly that. Dude, the other the other thing as well is like like the the kid Julius Strauss crushed it with these shots, mm -hmm. but like his transmission for the drone would cut out when the drone went around the corner of the gorge, so we had to like split it up, do it a bunch of times, and like make sure that he he wasn't going to lose um, signal while he was flying. It was it was crazy for me to think about, and he was saying like there are some shoots where like there's another drone in the air just acting as a signal booster mm -hmm. like it's <laughs> like however however like advanced and grateful i am for the technology we have there's levels to it we haven't even scratched the surface man oh yeah especially fpv drone stuff <laughs> it's just this like incredible playground i think you can really dig deep into and just get lost in parts transistors battery whatever it is like do, do, crazy but world I think I think those shots are like the only way to like show and convey like the motion and what it feels like to do kayaking because a lot of times it is like static shots you mm -hmm. can't really like feel it you know and mm -hmm. just as like a lot of sports have their own look you know like skate with a fisheye and wide like rolling follow shots I think dude I think FPV is it for kayaking you know yeah I so far I'm still very fired up on FPV but I can already feel myself getting 
more sensible for the same uh, feeling like I had with the first GoPro POVs out there. Like when I saw the first FPVs of kayaking, everything was sick. And this is not that long ago. When this when did this become a thing? Maybe like one, two years ago, the very first ones came out. I mean, for me, it was um, the shot that Rafa um, Rafa got of Dane on Marley. Yeah, yeah. So that's like two years by now. Um, like when all I mean that shot is epic still nowadays. Like this is one of the craziest shots kayaking has ever ever seen. But Everything FPV, I was like, heck yeah, this is awesome. I love this. And now I can already sense myself to really get a little bit more cautious. Like, ah, I don't want to see that unnecessary drone spin. Why is it looping here? But I agree. It is an amazing way to capture like the dynamics of the sport because you can really like go with the kayaker. You can go with the speed of the water, especially if free falls comes into play and kind of like, yeah, like mimic a little bit the, the feeling and the experience the kayaker has on water just with the way the drone is flying around rather than, as you're saying, like a wide static shot or like a super artificial, like close-up slow-mo type thing where nothing really gets put into perspective anymore. 100%, mate. And I, and I agree with like your comment there about like all the movement in the shots you know like uh you know like they have to do some of those flips and spins just to get the drone away from a tree or something you mm -hmm. know but I, I definitely like my favorite shots are just like steady follow shots you yeah. know where they're where they're matching the speed and stuff like that but i still think the best way because for me like a lot of the rivers we have in Urts mm -hmm. are beautiful and they feel amazing to kayak and you know we do film them but it's very hard to capture what it feels like to be on there with how busy it is and how much gradient you're actually losing throughout the rapid mm -hmm. you know whereas on a static camera you just see like a few drops you know like and and that's how you convey the gradient but for me like a drone flying backwards and descending with a gradient of the river, it like transforms it. Then, then you understand, you know, then you see what's going on. And uh, we sort of tried to replicate those shots on a budget. Remember I had that, um, that pole? Uh, yeah. The, what was it? Was it the, a washing? No, what was it? Dude, so John and Hugh from Pistol Productions made this out of the frying pan and a, <laughs> and a stick. And uh, I think we still have to apologize to the mother-in-law at this point um but anyway what we have you done <laughs> <laughs> not all the things i'd like to um, <laughs> sorry john and his mother-in-law um but anyway yeah they took her pan and we took it out on the river um sorry if you were trying to cook him that um but you know like anyway we had this set up because instead of having a fpv flying backwards and potentially dropping in the river and stuff we had this pole set up on the back loop of the kayak mm -hmm. with the camera facing backwards and then it would be someone's job to like chase down the kayak and it's really really hard to get good shots with a normal gopro you know like you you want to film in like 4k 120 so you can slow-mo it because it's like real like flashes you know um but with the 360 camera when you can orbit and manipulate the shot to mm -hmm. like track the kayaker as he's chasing you down dude i love filming like that i really enjoy it like it's it's fun you get nice dynamic shots and it's it's just different you yeah, know i agree it's a, it's a cool way to get these glimpses of movement that I, I remember what you were saying, looking at the clips and there's like this maybe like two second period, which actually looks sick and the rest is like not, not usable, but that's worth it as soon as it messes up enough. Yeah. Just playing that catch. All right, for now, time's flying. We are going to cut this into two pieces and two parts. So stay tuned for next week's episode where we continue our conversation about drones, kayaking and everything in between. <laughs>